Good morning, devotees. I apologize to those of you who read the poster and are not here, obviously. As I put Monday, I'll put the right day. There is Swamiji, please accept my and everybody's obeisances, particularly the cows who have a hard time paying dandavats at this time of the day. <laughs> jai, Jai. Pranams, pranams to you all. So I'm going to read a little bit of um, his bio. Krishakshetra Swami met Srila Prabhupada in Paris in the summer of 1972 and was initiated at that time. How long after you met him, you got initiated? After I met him, um, one day. Yeah, long wait. And it was two weeks after I joined the devotees. Wow. I'm sure you, you knew that you were about your vows, that you were vowing to follow the principles and chant 16 rounds for the rest of your life after a week. Anybody I, know? I was terrified that Prabhupada was going to ask me, you know, what are the four regular principles? Because I wasn't sure that I knew what they were. And uh, mercifully, he didn't ask. Wow. <laughs> so technically, I've never made those vows. <laughs> um, he served in a preaching mission in Europe, including Eastern Europe for 23 years, mainly doing book distribution, Namahat, and public programs, as well as deity worship. During this time, he was based mainly in Germany. That's where I met you, in Heidelberg. From 1982, he oversaw the worship of Shishi Pralad Nishingaheb at Simhachalam in Germany. Was, was Simhachalam, now is in Bavaria, but it was always there, or actually moved? No, that's where... That's where it started. That's the place. In the early 90s, he began helping in the compilation of the first edition of Pancharacha Pradipa, ISKCON's official DD worship manual. Eventually became the project's chief editor to complete volume one and supplement in 1995. Soon thereafter, he was appointed as the first GBC minister for DD worship, taking initial steps to develop a network of guidance and oversight for ISKCON temple worship programs. Meanwhile, Starting in 1995, he took up, or rather resumed, formal academic studies, completing an MA in the study of religion at Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, USA. I guess you didn't want to mention your time in IV <laughs> while you <laughs> finish your undergrad degree. Well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to save that for, you know, we can... We can go down memory lane at some point. <laughs> um, he wrote a dissertation entitled Krishna Seva, the Theology of Gaudiya Vaishnava Image Worship. He went on to complete an MST. What is an MST? Master of Studies. <laughs> uh -huh. it's, it's a one-year um, master's course and a PhD in 2004 in the theology faculty of the University of Oxford, UK, for which he wrote a dissertation that is now published under the title, Attending Krishna's Image, Chaitanya Vaishnava Murti Seva as Devotional Truth. 
In 2020, he published an academic monograph, Cow Care in Hindu Animal Ethics, in the Palgrave Macmillan Animal Ethics book series. He has just completed a short book, Krishna's Wonderful Form, A Guide for the Perplexed. That's a nice title. Soon to be published by BBT Australia. He has co-edited and co-authored, together with Radhika Roman Das, two volumes on the Bhagavatam, published by Columbia University Press. Krishna Kshetra Swami is presently Dean of Studies at Bhaktivedanta College, a research fellow of the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, a fellow of the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics, an associate member of the GBC Shastra Advisory Council, a member of the BBT Editorial Review Board, a member of the Eastern Communications Journal Advisory Board, and a member of the Bhaktivedanta Research Center, Calcutta, Mumbai, Advisory Board. He also assists in Eastern Ministry of Cow Protection and Agriculture as Minister for Europe. Um, when do you sleep? <laughs> well, I attend all these meetings. Uh, I fake it, actually. I'm, I'm not actually present. I'm sleeping through all the meetings. <laughs> cut out picture of yourself. Right. Um, in 2014, Krishna Kshetra Swami accepted the vows of the sannyas order. So you were a brahmachari for 42 years. Something like that. Yeah. I, rem I remember asking you, why, why didn't you take sannyas? And you said you, uh, you were trying to avoid or not interested in the limelight and the attention. I guess those wishes changed, did they? Well, you know, so many factors come together in different ways in different times. Um, but I also didn't want to become part of the statistics of uh, sannyasis giving up their vows. You know? <laughs> well, it, we are uh, honored to have you here with us. And please take it away. And as I, as I ask, um, after you speak for as long as you want on the Bhagavatam, maybe you can give us a little bit of your insight on cow protection and farm life, etc., etc. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sarvatma Prabhu, and thank you for inviting me to, uh, to take part, to be uh, simultaneously, inconceivably simultaneously present in Gita Nagri and present in an hour uh, southeast of Prague in Czech Republic. That's where I am right now. <laughs> so um, are we going to have uh, a text online or should I use mine? Um, let's see, Agari Prabhu? Um, Perhaps you can make Krishna Kshetra Swami the host so he can share his screen with us. Or someone is there to be able to do that. I don't think I'm logged on through as the host myself. So mm -hmm. um, just go ahead. Just you, you, you read the verse and. Uh, okay. We'll come put um, but the other question is, which verse? Because on your poster, uh, there were two things that confused me. 
One was the date and the other was the verse number. Uh, the date uh, was the right date, but the wrong day of the week. So right. I, I already sent a message apologizing, and my apologies to you. I oh, did that. Sorry, I didn't see that. Uh, but the verse, do you want verse five or verse six? Six. Six, okay. Uh, great. That's um, not the first time I prepared to discuss a different verse than I'm asked to talk about. <laughs> so, you can actually you can actually speak about one or the other or both. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. So let's begin with some pranati, Mangala Charana. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale, Shimate Bhaktivedanta, Swamin Itinamine. Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pracharine, Nivishesha Shunyavadi, Paschatyade Shatarine, Vancha Kalpa Turubhyascha, Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo Namo Nama. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar, Shri Vasadi, Gauravaktavinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Narayanam Namaskritya, Naram Chavanarotamam Deving Sadasatingyasam Tato Jayamadhiraye, Nashta Prayeshva Badreshu, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya, Bhagavatyutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtiki. So we're reading Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, uh, Chapter 25. Um, I'm reading from Vedavase Online, so I don't remember the title of this chapter. Verse number 6. Uh, this is uh, the King Prachina Barhishat speaking, and he's speaking to Narada. And he says, Kriheshu Kuta Dharmeshu Putradara Danardadi Naparang Vindate Mudho Brahmyan Sangsara Bartmasu. And word for word, Kriheshu in family life, Kuta Dharmeshu in false occupational duties. Putra, sons, Dara, wife, Dhana, wealth, Artha, the goal of life, Dhi, one who considers, Na, not, Param, transcendence, Vindate, achieves, Mudha, rascal, <laughs> Brahmyan, wandering, Sangsara, of material existence, 
Vardmasu on the path. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Translation, those who are interested only in a so-called dutiful life, namely remaining as a householder entangled by sons and a wife and searching after wealth, think that such things are life's ultimate goal. Such people simply wander in different types of bodies throughout this material existence without finding out the ultimate goal of life. And Prabhupada's purport, those who are too much attached to family life, which consists of entanglement with wife, children, wealth, and home, are engaged in kuta dharma, pseudo-duties. Prahlad Maharaj has likened these pseudo-occupational duties to a dark well, Andakupam. Prahlad has purposefully spoken of this dark well, because if one falls into this well, he will die. He may cry for help, but no one will hear him or come to rescue him. The words Brahmyan Sangsaravartmasu are significant. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhya 19.151, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very clearly explains Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagyavan Jiva. All living entities are wandering in different types of bodies throughout different planets. And if, in the course of their wanderings, they come in contact with a devotee by the direction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, their lives become successful. Even though King Prachina Bahishat was engaged in fruitive activity, the great sage Narada appeared before him. The king was very fortunate to be able to associate with Narada, who enlightened him in spiritual knowledge. It is the duty of all saintly persons to follow in the footsteps of Narada Muni and travel all over the world to every country and village just to instruct illusioned persons about the goal of life and to save them from the entanglement of karma bandha, fruit of activity. And so ends Srila Prabhupada's purport to the verse, Griheshu kuta dharmeshu putradhara danartadi naparam vindate mudho ramyan samsara vartmasu those who are interested only in a, in a so-called beautiful life, namely remaining as a householder entangled by sons and a wife and searching after wealth, think that such things are life's ultimate goal. Such people simply wander in different types of bodies throughout this material existence 
without finding out the ultimate goal of life. Interesting, I find, that this verse is spoken, spoken by King Prachina Varhishat, who one would think is an example or might be an example of uh, the case that he's speaking about himself. Um, and in particular, it's interesting in the context of the question that he's asked in the previous verse, um, which goes like this, Rajovacha, na janami mahabhaga parang karma pavidhadi bruhi me vimalangyanam yena muchyeya karma vi. The king replied, O great soul, Narada, my intelligence is entangled in fruitive activities. Therefore, I do not know the ultimate goal of life. Kindly instruct me in pure knowledge so that I can get out of the entanglement of fruitive activities. This verse uh, is opening up, is inviting. Uh, Narada to respond, and uh, this response is going to continue over the next, what, two, three chapters at least, uh, in which he's going to expound. First, he's, he's going to tell an allegorical story. It's the one, to my knowledge, the, maybe it's not the only, um, allegory in the Bhagavatam, which is explicitly an allegory. Basically, Narada says, now I'm going to tell you a story um, by way of illustration, although he uses the word itihasa, which Prabhupada often, if not always, uh, translates as history, um, but more broadly, it can simply mean example or illustrative story. Um, so, King, uh, this King Prachina Barhishat is is getting a lesson from Narada for his benefit, because the King is in trouble, and that's going to be explained in the next couple of verses uh, after this little, I think, two-verse speech, Narada is going to begin by saying, you know what, um, <laughs> my dear king, you're in big trouble. Um, you don't realize how much trouble you're in, in effect. Uh, you have been doing what you think is your duty, um, which is described as karma, uh, duties, karma, action. But what that means for a king in particular is uh, to engage in uh, ritual sacrifices. And what the king understood this to mean is to perform ritual sacrifices in which animals are, um, are sacrificed. And what Nard is going to tell him is 
you're in trouble because all these animals that you've killed are just waiting for you. As soon as you die, they're going to torture uh, you, basically. Already uh, has some inkling that he's in trouble, and therefore he's asking this question. There's a, a, a curious thing about the question, and that is the fact that he's asking the question, um, or he's requesting Narda to speak to him how how to get out of um, out out of his conditioning of karma, how to become released, uh, suggests that he, he, already, he already knows uh, what is the problem. Most people who are mm, conditioned in this world are, um, as Prabhupada says in his word-for-word uh, of the next verse, uh, the mudhas are rascals. Prabhupada once said, um, as we all know, he would many times speak of fools and rascals um, in the same breath. They are fools and rascals, fools and rascals, fools and rascals. And at least one time he was saying that, and then he kind of, I think he paused and he said, Fool means rascal. <laughs> someone who is ignorant, someone who is foolish, is only foolish because they allow themselves to be foolish, uh, is what he seems to be saying. So uh, here the king is indicating or suggesting that he's not so foolish, and at the same time he's recognizing himself as being uh, being foolish. And that's uh, positioning him in a place of humility so that he's going to be able to hear uh, from, from Narada. So um, I want to look a little more, even though you've already discussed um, verse 5, I want to look a little more at this verse. Um, first of all, we have uh, the king saying, Not Janami, I don't know. What doesn't he know? He doesn't know how to become free uh, from karma. And he doesn't know param vimalam jnanam. Uh, you'll notice the, the words param. Param is on a different line than Vimalam and Gyanam. And so you may think that has something to do, that they're not connected. But they are connected, and you can see that they're connected by their endings. Um, they have the same, uh, the same sound ending, Param, Vimalam, Gyanam. So it's, it's Jnanam or Gyanam. Uh, what kind of jnanam, vimalam jnanam, pure, faultless jnanam, and that faultless jnanam is param, it's 
it's the best, it's the highest. Or it can mean simply it is beyond. Uh, and so Prabhupada translates here as transcendental. And transcendental can just, uh, it can mean of the spiritual world, we may say, or it can simply mean beyond, uh, beyond this world or beyond mundane understanding. Uh, so um, he is recognizing this situation and Prabhupada in the purport, quoting from Naratam Das Thakur, Sat shot shongo chadi koinu ashote bilas take karane lagiloje karma pang bandha pangsa. So I did some digging to find out what is this word pangsa because Prabhupada uh, refers to it as entanglement in fruitive activities, karma bandha. Uh, the bondage of karma, but what is pamsa? Uh, so by the blessings of, you know, Google and whatever, uh, I found out that pamsa means noose, as in when, uh, when someone is punished by the death sentence, they are hang, hanged by the noose. So it can mean noose, it can mean strangling, and it can also mean death by hanging. Um, and so uh, this is the situation. Being as serious as it, as it is, uh, is uh, what Prabhupada emphasizes time and again is what we need to get ourselves out of. Um, and King Prachina Barhishat thus becomes a, a, an example, a model, a model uh, of one who is showing the sort of sincerity that's needed to make this move. Uh, as Prabhupada says in this uh, Purport to verse 5, he says, King Prachina Barhishat admitted this fact. He admitted that he is entangled, that he is, that his neck is in the noose of karma. He admitted this fact and frankly asked Narada Muni how he could get out of this karma bandapansa um, entanglement in fruitive activities. Mm. And one may then ask, what was, what was it that inspired King Prachina Barhishat to make this admission? And it seems the answer is given in uh, the last paragraph of Prabhupada's purport. He says, King Prachina Barhishat found the best spiritual master, Narada Muni, and he therefore asked him about that knowledge by which one can get out of the entanglement of karma bandha, pangsa, fruit of activities. So King Prachinavarhishat apparently is, he was searching. Narada has this special knack 
of showing up at the right place at the right time when someone is uh, searching for the absolute truth. Of course, we may ask ourselves, well, why doesn't Narada Muni show up for me? Um, well, okay, that's a topic to discuss, but I won't go there right, right now. Um, somehow, this king is ripe uh, for hearing from a qualified spiritual master, and therefore Narada uh, appears. Narada's not going to show up when he knows that no one's going to listen to him. And similarly, we may say uh, the guru in general may be uh, aware when somebody is ready to listen and when someone is not ready to listen. Um, years ago, when I was in Santa Barbara and I was, uh, <laughs> I was in the shelter of our very Sarvatma Prabhu, this was a few decades ago um, before he was married, uh, we were sharing his apartment that was one block away from the University of California, Santa Barbara campus, across the street from a sorority. Uh, and uh, while I was finishing up my undergraduate degree there, being more than twice as old as most of the students, I signed up for one course um, that looked interesting. It was called um, Yoga in Indian Traditions or something like that. It was about yoga. Um, and the professor was a very senior professor. Turned out this was going to be his last um, this la his, his last semester before retiring. And his mood in teaching the class was quite laid back. Uh, mainly, he was just telling us anecdotes of his own life in the course of each lecture period. So one time, he uh, was speaking about gurus. And he, he said... Uh, he said, I don't like gurus. That was his pronouncement. Not a very, you know, academically, rigorously based statement, uh, which if I was a little more on top of things at the time, I could have challenged him. Um, because what he then did to justify his statements, his statement that he doesn't like gurus is to tell us how he once met in Mumbai some guru of some mission. It, I don't think it was ISKCON. It was just some mission. And uh, the, the guru was finishing his talk, his lecture, and then he was inviting questions. And then my professor asked him a question. And uh, he told us the question he asked, and it was obviously that he wanted to try to puzzle uh, the guru. 
he wanted to, you know, maybe make him look uh, in a less than favorable light. And from his description, I could understand that guru could immediately understand that this professor is not, in a way, he is not ready to hear what I have to say. And so the answer that he gave him was something um, something very short and basically dismissive, which then led my professor to conclude, oh, he's, I don't like gurus. <laughs> uh, that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, this, yeah, such can be the case. So, in contrast, King Prachinavarhishat is ready. The spiritual master is there, and there's going to be uh, a very fruitful result from this. So, if we go then to uh, verse number six. What's interesting is that now the king who is saying to Narada, I need, I need help. I'm bound up in my uh, fruitive activities. I need help to get released from them. Now he is further admitting uh, his situation. He's further, it's kind of a further confession, if you like. But he's making it in a general sense, those who are interested only in a so-called dutiful life, namely remaining as a householder entangled by sons and a wife and searching after wealth, think that such things are life's ultimate goal. Such people, and he's including himself, simply wander in different types of bodies throughout this material existence without finding out the ultimate goal. Um, in, is it this purport? Yes, uh, okay. Well, Prabhupada refers to the famous verse of Prahlad Maharaj, his advice to his dear father, um, O best of the demons, he says, my advice to you, after his father has asked him to tell him what's the best thing he has learned in school, Prahlad basically ignores his question and tells his father what he thinks his father needs to know. But in this case, his father is really not ready to listen when he tells him, you know, you are bound up in material life, in uh, the undakupam uh, of this, uh, specifically of uh, householder life. And so um, basically he says, if you ask me, I think you should uh, go to the forest. And then Prabhupada takes the liberty uh, to give a purport to that within the verse uh, when he says, I think uh, you should go to the forest, meaning Vrindavan. <laughs> um, I think you should go to Vrindavan uh, in, in this way, uh, 
break out from this condition in which you have uh, settled yourself. Now I want, I had it here. I have to search again, one moment. Uh, one dot, two dot, 10, search. And we have, uh-oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, no, that's not what I want. Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting that in Prabhupada's word for word to Andakupam, he says it's a dry well in which there is no water. Um, and therefore, uh, a person, how does he put it? Now I'm really curious. I had it here. Let's start again. On, uh, kupam. Kupam, of course, is a well. And anda means dark. And uh, we're almost there. Five. Six. Seven. Here we are. Okay. Now we got it. Okay, he says, under mm, kupam, which is nothing but a blind well, parentheses, where there is no water, but one nonetheless searches for water. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is one way uh, which is emphasized a lot in the Bhagavatam of portraying uh, the situation of household life, with the point being to emphasize the danger of being distracted, the danger of, um, well, as this verse has, uh, the danger of thinking that this is the goal of life. <clears throat> um, what happens if one is thinking that this is the goal of life? Because the the D, the intelligence, um, we have this uh, putra dada dana arta D, and also we had in the previous verse um, we had what was it? Okay, we had karma. Apavidhadi. And Prabhupada translates D as intelligence, but this is another word I looked up. Um, D has many meanings. It can mean thought, can mean reflection, meditation, can even mean devotion, even prayer. Uh, it can mean understanding. It can mean disposition or intention. And here, I think disposition uh, or intent, disposition is very good. Having, having a disposition uh, whereby one thinks that the artha, the purpose, mm, the goal of life is putra dara dana, is having, uh, having sons, 
wife and wealth. So this kind of representation of family life, we find a lot in the Bhagavatam. But of course, we also understand there's another side, and that is that uh, family life can be uh, a positive thing. It can help in spiritual life. I always like to remember uh, one, for me, um, a sort of snapshot of what I, I saw as a kind of ideal householder life situation that I saw so many years ago. Uh, I was visiting Kathmandu in uh, Nepal, and I heard about one uh, Nimbarka Sampradaya Brahmin who was uh, very knowledgeable about Shalagram Shila, and I wanted to meet him and ask him some questions. That's another story. But I found out uh, where he lives. I just went to his house and knocked on the door and he welcomed me in. And I was immediately struck uh, by what I saw that the center um, attraction, the central what was going on in his house was the worship of Krishna. He had um, quite nice, um, nice sized temple room and uh, deity. It was it was like a how to say architecturally. It was like a temple within a house, and. The whole family were busy. And how were they busy? They were busy doing all sorts of things for the deities. That was clear. And also neighbors were coming, and they were uh, coming to have darshan of the deity of this um, neighborhood Brahmin. And when I saw this, I thought, ah, yes, this is, this, this gives me the idea of what, mm, what I think Prabhupada had in mind for Grihasta householders, uh, where um, the center of the life would be the worship of the deity. And uh, in this way, in this way, then it's not what's being described in these verses. It's not about Griheshu, Kuta, Dharmeshu, etc. Um, but it's about mm, it's about uh, being engaged in Lord Chaitanya's mission and about uh, helping others to be engaged in Krishna consciousness. Uh, so um, both things are, both sorts of ideas are there. Now, in this chapter, uh, this is the beginning, so I, I'll take the liberty to say a bit about uh, the as the chapter moves forward, just to say that, as I mentioned before, it's an allegory. And what is the allegory? It's the story of this king, Puranjana, uh, which you could almost translate Puranjana as every man. Uh, it's a story of every man. 
And this everyman, the essential, well, the grand finale, the anti-climax, uh, actually, of the story is uh, the conditions in which this King Puranjan dies. And the point to be made here is, if we want to see the bigger picture of the Bhagavatam, one way of appreciating the Bhagavatam is how, of course, it's being spoken to Maharaj Parikshit, who is about to die. Uh, and there are so many stories or narratives or histories, whatever you want to call them, about death in the Bhagavatam. And these accounts of death, I would say go generally into two categories. One is glorious deaths, and the other is inglorious deaths. So what we're getting in this chapter, or in the, this and the next and following chapters, uh, is an inglorious death. I have a godbrother who is a professor of, um, of religion who uh, wrote his doctoral dissertation on the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, so many years ago. And then so many years after that, he published it after revising it. Um, it's a lit literary analysis, so to say, of the Bhagavatam. And the title of his book is Tales for the Dying. And the subtitle is The Death Narratives of the Bhagavata Purana. So he's, highlight, he's highlighting this feature of the Bhagavatam. It's telling stories of how different persons die. Uh, and what we're getting in this part of the Bhagavatam is an a story of an inglorious death. But um, as with all accounts in the Bhagavatam, there's a happy ending uh, that King Prachina Varhishat, he is asking this question to Narada, and in this way, he's preparing himself to uh, be successful in his life. Uh, I'll just end by um, sharing my own experience of asking my one question to Srila Prabhupada. <laughs> um, Prabhupada came to Germany in 1974. At that time, we were renting this uh, Schloss, this so-called castle. It was just a kind of large house. Uh, and Prabhupada came there and he was giving lectures. It's also where he recorded uh, what he recorded a double album of uh, his singing. Mm. And that became an album called Krishna Meditations. And it was done, uh, it was one devotee prepared a very nice, um, like a recording studio in the Schloss. And Prabhupada was very pleased with that. Anyway, Prabhupada was giving lectures, and one evening he gave a Bhagavad Gita class on Bhagavad Gita chapter 2, verse 14, speaking about the necessity, uh, Krishna's 
in first practical instruction to to Arjuna that uh, we have to tolerate the dualities of this world. Prabhupada was speaking as he always did, very powerfully, and I was moved. Um, <laughs> I was moved uh, to the extent that um, when he finished his class, he invited questions, and I couldn't resist. I thought this may be my only chance. Um, so I mustered up my courage. It was it was kind of how to say. For 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 me at least, uh, being in Prabhupada's presence was, um, I mean, his his presence was so powerful and at the same time intimidating, because one felt really, really, really like uh, he sees right through me and whatever I say or do or think, uh, it's it's not going to be right. <laughs> Anyway, I mustered up courage, and I asked him basically what I would say is the, the basic uh, how can we question. It was tied to his lecture, um, and he liked for that reason, I think. I asked essentially, uh, how, can, how can I give up material desire? Because <laughs> he had been speaking something in that regard, and his, his answer was, no desire, desire only for Krishna. And then he elaborated, anyabhilashita shunyam jnana karma He quoted that verse and he elaborated on its meaning. And at the uh, he he expanded a fair amount on on that point. Mm. And he concluded, uh, kind of summarizing to say that how do we change material desire to spiritual desire is we engage in spiritual activities. And what does that mean? So Prabhupada gave examples. He said, you can clean the temple for Krishna, you can wash, you can cook for Krishna, you can... He gave a few examples of what you can do for Krishna. And at the end of his uh, spontaneous list of things you could do for Krishna, he said, you can drive a car for Krishna. At which point everyone in the temple room, knowing that I was the temple driver, um, that was my big qualification, having a driver's license in those days, uh, <laughs> In Europe, not so many devotees had driver's license. So I, anyway, uh, devotees laughed because they they knew I was the the temple. That was my main service at the time. Uh, certainly, Prabhupada was not informed that I was the temple driver, or was he? Uh, it seems as though um, Lord Krishna, Paramatma some form of the Lord uh, told him that this brahmachari is the temple driver. In any case, uh, the, the point is, um, it's good to ask serious questions when we get opportunity. And this questioning is actually, it's an ongoing thing. In one sense, we may want to say, well, okay, I've 
um, read all the questions and all the answers of Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita, I know what Sanatana Goswami has asked, and I know the answer to that. Ke ami kene ame jare tapa troy. I know, uh, and so there's nothing more to ask. But the reality is there's always more to ask, or there's deeper to ask. Uh, and that's really kind of what we're doing as we cultivate uh, spiritual life is cultivating a sense of questioning, have I really got it right yet? Uh, and um, when the right persons come along, uh, the devotees uh, to whom we can ask these things, then that's what we want to do. Um, this this is our this is our spiritual nourishment. Okay, let me stop there and see if there is something, some discussion, some question, whatever. Uh, whatever you like to express on any of these points. And then uh, you want me to talk about cows, right, Sarvatma? Yeah, but I, I do have a question, and, and you already asked the question at the beginning of your soliloquy by saying, <laughs> by saying that uh, why, why doesn't Narada show up for me? Uh, yeah. Me in a generic way, uh, yeah, maybe not for me, but there are many sincere people, uh, as sincere, I would say, as King Prachina Barishat. But Narada is uh, no show. Why? Why did he show up for him because he was a king? That's one, that's one possibility. Another is that Narada is showing up, uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't come in the way we might be looking for him. Uh, you know, he's not holding a veena, and he's not, he's coming as our own guru, he's coming as uh, sadhus. He make, Prabhupada once said that Narada Muni is uh, our spiritual master, I think, in the sense that mm, we're all benefiting from Narada. Another answer could be, well, he's, um, you know, be grateful for the fact that he has shown up in the Bhagavatam, or as Prabhupada would say, in the pages of the Bhagavatam. Um, and he's given all of, uh, he's he's given the instruction that he has given. He's very prominent in the Bhagavatam. Uh, and uh, if, we're, if we're not appreciating that, then Narada may be saying, well, if you can't get what I'm giving you in the Bhagavatam, why should I show up for you personally? <laughs> uh, so, um, but as you said, there are many sincere souls uh, who are searching. And I think we have to just say, well, uh, therefore, it's our task uh, to make ourselves available for them. 
as as widely as possible. Thank you. Devotees, please, any questions, any comments, reflections? Don't all answer at once. <laughs> yes, but we are not morning people, I think. I, I, I was just thinking, it's, uh, it's a bit early in the morning for you all. Here we're, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost one in, one in the afternoon here. So we'll forgive you for that. What are you doing in the Czech Republic, if I may ask? I'm visiting devotees. I've been in Poland uh, for the last 19 months uh, with only very, uh, very brief, only very brief visits within Poland elsewhere. I've been staying in one place. What with pandemics and lockdowns and all of that, I decided um, now's my now's my chance to stay in one place for a change after 40 some years of more or less nonstop travel. And so that's what I did. But um, yeah, I decided just a couple of weeks ago, it's time to get on the move again. My first stop was Berlin, then Leipzig, then Prague, then uh, near Bruno, I, we had Gorpurnima. And now I'm back near Prague, and then back to Bruno, and then Vienna, and Singachlan. So, yeah, I'm just uh, trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit off of my seat. <laughs> I have to say, it's, uh, it's been really inspiring. The, the Gore Purnima Festival, mind you, the first time I came to Czech Republic, 1978, um, maybe 77, but anyway, 78, there were exactly zero devotees in this country, in Czechoslovakia. And, uh, you know, it was all kind of so-called undercover. I say so-called because so many years later, we all found that we were part of big, fat police files. They knew everything what we were doing. <laughs> it wasn't very secret. Um, they were watching us. Anyway. When we started, there was nobody. There were no devotees. And now I was just in um, Moravia. That's the eastern part of Czech Republic, uh, basically the Moravian Yatra. We had Gorpurnima in uh, one place outside Bruno. There were 140 devotees. Um, I mean, okay, it's not... India, it's not, well, you know, the Ukraine festival of times past uh, with 8,000 devotees or whatever. But for Czech Republic, you know, there's there's now a few hundred devotees here. So, um, and it's not because of me, it's despite me. Because <laughs> I haven't myself been... Um, I haven't been coming to Czech Republic very much at all in the last several years. 
even before you escaped from India? Um, you mean this during the pandemic? Yes. No, I went, um, I flew straight to Frankfurt, stayed for two weeks near Frankfurt, uh, and then went straight to Poland, flew to Poland. Okay, I I have some more, but there are devotees that uh, have questions, so I'll, uh, we'll get back. Okay. Jagarat Pandit Prabhu, please unmute yourself. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much for the wonderful class. And I uh, especially appreciated uh, <clears throat> your um, balanced understanding of the topic uh, mentioned in the verse. Um, <clears throat> because uh, it sounds like what's being described is Grihamedi life versus Grihasta life. And, and one of the things you mentioned is that wonderful example you gave of the family in Kathmandu, where Krishna was the complete center of their, their whole daily life. And, um, as Brahastas, uh, actually there's maybe seven or eight Brahastas on this um, Zoom. Uh, mm -hmm. There's there's so many um, levels that Brahastas are on at a particular time in their sojourn. Uh, and, but the one center is, is Krishna. But it seems that there's a variety, just as with individuals, there's a variety of how pinpointed we are and resolute in our determination to really exclusively love Krishna. Mm -hmm. And for, for Grahastas, there's so many uh, external duties that we engage in. So it's easy to be distracted, as you as you were talking. You might use the term distractions, um, but a lot of times we can think as rehastas that oh, I'm so engaged in all these duties, and I'm just so distracted, you know. But still, the ultimate goal is different than Agrihamedi's ultimate goal. So. Mm -hmm. Rahasa life, I see it as a process of becoming more and more resolute and clear with what our ultimate goal is as mm -hmm. we engage in our duties. And I was wondering, is in this in this particular verse, is is the king actually, uh, as you mentioned in this humility, discussing Grihamedi life? Or was he actually engaged in Grihasa life? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, first, these two terms, Grihamedi and uh, Grihasta, I think there's an overlap, technically speaking. Um, Grihamedi is used kind of polemically 
Medha is another word uh, for intelligence or disposition. Uh, And so someone whose mentality, whose orientation, whose disposition is focused on the griha uh, would be called griha-medhi. And the word griha-sta, sta just means standing, uh, positioned. So positioned in the house, literally. Uh, so it's a more neutral, a more neutral word. Uh, and my how how I would see uh, Prachina Varhishat, like so many persons in the Bhagavatam, he's he's functioning, so to say, as a model. Uh, f- to be uh, not emulated, but learned from the fact that he's he's on track to lose it as a grihamedi, to use that terminology, um, but he is humble enough to allow himself to uh, take full advantage of Narada's teachings. So you could say Griyamedi, who is, you know, he's he's just making the turn uh, to become uh, Grihasta. So it, I would say there's a motion, there's a there's a shift. It's not that he is one or the other, but he's going from one to the other. And that's why there's a kind of a dramatic element to his situation. You could say because of what Narada is about to say in the next couple of verses, you know, all these animals you've um, sacrificed are just waiting for you. Uh, You could say both. On the one side, he's being the dutiful Grihasta king and uh, d- doing the, all the proper rituals. He's, you know, there are uh, injunct- there are descriptions in Veda of animal sacrifice, um, despite the fact that there's a certain class of sort of born again Hindus who want to say that actually there's no animal killing in in the Veda. That's kind of hard to defend, I think. And Prabhupada certainly doesn't say that there is no uh, animal sacrifice. So he's doing his duty as he understands it to be. And now Narada is coming and saying, you know, you may be thinking you're doing your duty, but you should understand there's still uh, a consequence which you haven't factored in. And therefore, all these animals are waiting for you. It's quite, it's quite dr- a dramatic statement. He's a strong statement, he's saying. Is that okay? Yes, thank you, Mara. I think Dr. Prema, I don't know if he's still on. 
but he had a question. Okay. Maybe had to go. Yes, yeah, he's, uh, he's always, no, there you go. We have a question from Magari Krishna Prabhu, I think. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Uh, thank you so much for your very insightful class. Um, so, with regard, Now, thank you. And now, uh, you uh, you spent some time in Eastern Europe uh, doing illegal deliveries and another uh, less less than savory engagements. So, can you can you tell us a little bit now that the well. I was going to say now that the iron curtain is down, but it seems that they're trying to build it back up. I think somebody's putting it back up. It might be in a slightly different location, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Well, we always heard from Srila Prabhupada that there are two Vaishnava sports, swimming and wrestling. Uh, so a few of us discovered a third Vaishnava sport, um, which smuggling. is especially smuggling. Huh? smuggling smuggling books yeah which is especially good for getting the adrenaline going um yeah so we had various we had various methods um and generally quite small quantities of books but um maybe the one time that would be nice to share with you all because uh, you are Gita Nagari and His Holiness Bhakti Tirta Swami. I was his sidekick for two or three weeks uh, of traveling in East Europe when he was doing the library party service of uh, bringing sets of books to uh, universities, libraries in East Europe. So I was asked to um, be his assistant for this particular time, especially for Austria and East Germany, because I speak German. And so I went with him and we had a, we had a small uh, vehicle, a kind of station wagon with um, with closed, uh, without windows in the back. 
And we went to East Germany. Uh, and before we went, um, at that time, Bhakti Tirtha Swami was uh, not yet sannyasi, Ganesham Prabhu. Um, I was telling him, you know, this country is super uptight. And when we go through the border, basically, there's no question of taking any books because they're going to find them. Um, we were getting an entry visa uh, so that we could legally travel in the country, um, as opposed to a transit visa, which allows you to drive from West Germany to West Berlin. So we got the entry visa and then but before all of this, as we were preparing to leave Schloss Reddershof, I'm telling Ganesham, you know, um, we're not going to be able to take books. And he said, well, let's try. <laughs> we filled up one banana box of books. Uh, we had German books, Bhagavatam, I guess, Maybe we had one set of Bhagavatams. I don't remember exactly. We had one, one banana box full of books. And then we just had our luggage. And, uh, you know, he had this spirit about him that, uh, I mean, he had this incredible fearlessness, but also uh, a kind of determination and a confidence that Krishna will make the impossible possible. So, okay, <laughs> okay, let's see what happens. So we took, uh, we came to the border, went through the procedures, and the final step is they inspect your car. Uh, customs inspects your car before they let you go in. And you know, as, as the customs officer came out, I was just holding my breath. And he just very casually looked in the front, uh, sort of glanced in the back window, didn't open anything, and just he waved us on. And that was Hare Krishna. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and... Bhakti Tirta Maharaj is just kind of grinning, smiling. Yeah, Krishna. <laughs> um, the other little episode, uh, especially memorable with Bhakti Tirta Maharaj, we came to Leipzig, to the University of Leipzig. And uh, I mean, the East Germans were really control freaks. I mean, if you if you went into a public library in East Germany, they would stop you at the front desk and you had to show identification. Um, you had to fill out a form and so on. What to speak of a university? You don't just walk into a university. First, you have to register and so on. And I'm telling all this to... <laughs> the Bhakti Tirta Swami, and he's listening uh, and nodding. And then he says, well, 
Let's see what happens. Maybe we can just walk in. And this was the large, we walked into the largest building of the university and we walked straight to the uh, reception desk where we should have gone to register. And we just kept looking straight ahead as if we belong here. And then uh, we got into the elevator and went to the uh, first floor and started knocking on doors of professors. And one of the doors opened and the professor uh, let us in. He was very gracious. He, had, he sat us down and um, he spoke English, professor of sociology. And Bhakti Tirtha Swami gave his pitch and he showed, showed him books. And um, the man was looking like kind of interested and he was nice. And then finally he said, well, said, you know, um, actually these books wouldn't be so relevant for, for my field of study, but I know one professor, I'm sure he'll be interested. I'm sure he'll be interested. So we got excited. Wow, he's giving us a connection. And so he wrote down on a little scrap of paper, uh, this would be in a different building, not in that main building. So we followed the directions to where he sent us. And when we came in to where he had sent us, we realized he had sent us to uh, the campus police. And the police were very polite. Uh, they said, please show your passports. <laughs> and uh, we understood, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And Bhakti Tirtha Swami at this point, I mean, I had to really control myself to, to not laugh while he was speaking because then what he proceeded to do uh, was to put on such a show of how sorry we were if we were breaking any rules. You see, we go to so many universities and they all have different, they all have different ways and rules and it's really hard for us to keep up with them. And if we had known and you know, we're so sorry, and, and we're certainly not going to do this uh, again. So, you know, please forgive us. And he just kept going like this on and on. And after some time, they just handed back our passports and said, anyway, get out of here. <laughs> so we left, and then we were going by uh, another university building. And... <laughs> Just after we've been thrown out by the police, uh, Bhakti Tirta Swami says, how about we try that, <laughs> that building? <laughs> I said, Prabhu, no, we don't do this. If they catch us here, they'll throw us out of the country. <laughs> 
So he finally agreed, okay, okay, so we left. But we had, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, uh, it's what the Germans call ein Nervenkitzel, uh, a, um, a scratching of the nerves, <clears throat> tickling of the nerves. So anyway, we had some sorts of adventures like that. But I realized years later, we would have gotten into so much more trouble than we did if we did not have American passports. We realized that actually these East European officials, actually they liked Americans. They were watching American television movies and who knows what, they liked the music and all that. So that was actually kind of protecting us <laughs> at the time. So that's a bit of the uh, third Vaishnav sport that we discovered. Yeah, let's see what happens now. The, uh, Things are really in turmoil. Uh, Poland now has, I haven't seen the latest numbers, but it's somewhere around 1.7 or 1.8 refugees from Ukraine. A million. What did I say? 1.8. 1.7, like less than two people. That's what I meant. 1.7, 1.8 million people, uh, refugees. And um, yeah, Ukraine has a lot of devotees and many of them are now coming to the West. And devotees, there's a lot of action um, in Poland especially and other countries here also in Czech Republic, they're um, finding ways of accommodating the refugee devotees. Permanently? Um, nobody's really thinking about permanent, um, and nobody knows for how long. You know, the, the hope is always that it's just going to be for a few days, um, but um, the reality is probably going to be more like weeks, if not months, uh, if not a year, who knows? Well, we're grateful to all the all the devotees from I was talking to Bhakti Vaibhava Swami also. He said that the Czech Republic and Bulgaria are making arrangements for the for refugees, for the devotees who are actually self-exile, I guess, from from Ukraine. Yeah. And we actually offered, I I told him and Niranjana Swami that if Somehow or other, the devotees, some of the devotees managed to get asylum or refugee status or visas for, for the states that we can accommodate some of them in Gitanagari. Oh, very nice. Yes, we'll see how, how they make their way here if they do. Yeah. Well, um, probably some will in the course of time.
they're kind of fanning out, although most of them, I was told in Poland, most of them want to stay in Poland uh, for two reasons. One is the language, Polish language is not so much different from Ukrainian or Russian, so they can, you know, more or less manage for that. And also Poland is nearby, so um, if they can go back, then it's easy for them to return. Okay, I don't, I don't want to uh, take more of your time. I'm, we are, I am, and and I sp speak as a spokesman for everybody else. I imagine that we're all very grateful for your kind delivery association knowledge wisdom so the, the pleasure will, is all mine i will i will get back in touch with you and perhaps we can do a, a even a conversation or or yeah that would be nice uh one thing is uh in case anyone would be interested you know you have a copy of the book i wrote cow care and Hindu animal ethics, right? So you could let it be known uh, that this title can be downloaded in digital form, uh, free of charge, if they just search for the title on, on Google. Okay. If anyone wants to read before we meet next time. Okay, okay. That'd be wonderful. Okay. So now I invite all the devotees to unmute yourselves and express your appreciation for Krishna Kshitraswami. Please do so. Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Maharaj. I appreciate your class and your association. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. And thank you again, Sarvatma Prabhu. You're very welcome. We are the one who are actually in any of that. <laughs>